Hello and welcome back to Equity, TechCrunch's venture capital-focused podcast where we unpack the numbers and the nuance behind the headlines. We are here on the third floor of Moscone. It is Disrupt Day 3. I have Becca and Kirsten and, oh my gosh, we are alive and we are going to survive this conference. I'm proud of us, frankly. That's a little premature. We still got a whole day left. No, we've like half a day left. And, oh, I mean, my day three is very relaxed. I'm just doing a couple of podcasts and a Yahoo Finance said, do you guys have anything left today that's serious? Just, uh, I can't wait to see the end of Battlefield and see who wins. True. But yes. you know the best part about that? I have not been involved with any step in that process. So I arrived at the very end when the confetti goes off and everyone's really happy. And I'm like, what an excellent celebration. Amazing. I know. I have an important question for you both. Do you feel disrupted? Mentally? Yes. <laughs> um, I feel incredibly disrupted because I had just adapted, you know, to my new life as a, as a parent. And, like, we finally got, like, a sleep schedule in place and all this. And then I did all that work. And then I flew to San Francisco and changed time zones, contexts, lifestyles. Like, I, yeah, every part of me is currently wrong. Yeah, definitely a disrupt to the routine is always sometimes like the hardest part of doing anything it feels like well i also haven't gotten much writing done like we haven't done we've done one fewer podcast this week like i know we're working but it feels like i'm not doing my job if that makes sense well you have all both been working i know i've been working because we've all been on stage and interviewing so becca i'm curious like what was the your favorite panel that you were participated in and then maybe one that you caught that you weren't doing mm-hmm so I really did like doing the Found Podcast Live this morning with Windows Snyder. Yeah. It's just really cool to have someone who has such a background like that, but outside the cybersecurity space just isn't super well known. I mean, a few people I was talking to, I was like, oh, I'm super excited. We're interviewing Windows Snyder. And they're like, oh, who is that? And I'm like, uh, the reason why our iPhones are encrypted, um, <laughs> the reason why Microsoft software includes cybersecurity. <laughs> like, I'm like, she's been such this maven. So it's fun to chat with her. But... I also really liked my employee stock option panel, which I was the most nervous about just because it's even for me covering VC all the time. It's a denser subject, but people were the crowd really into it. We got good audience questions. The panelists made it kind of fun and exciting. So yeah, this I was like the, the panel that was about how to provide liquidity, early liquidity to founders and employees. Yeah, and I'm curious. I mean, yes, there have been some IPOs back up, but not many. What was the main takeaway? The main takeaway is if you really are intentional about it, say you setting up a company, you set up a program where like everyone can access liquidity every quarter, every so often, that that's really the only way to make it work. Because there are a lot of companies that have done it incorrectly. Things like Stripe, Instacart made it so that their employees cannot sell their shares when they're at the peak. Now they're at the bottom. Their shares are all worth nothing. And just kind of how to avoid some of those pitfalls, which I think are really interesting because Stock options are such a big part of compensation packages to get people to work at startups. So it's kind of a shame. It's one of those areas where it seems it's more of a facade, but there are ways to make it work. So it's nice kind of like chat about how companies could actually make it a real benefit. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Stock options, I feel like they're kind of in, um, they're not as in demand as they used to be back when everything was going up and to the right. But Instacart shares being worth nothing, you're saying that the uh, exercise or strike price of those options is now below their public Correct. share price. And I don't know for Instacart specifically, but a lot of those late stage companies, one of the panelists, Tyson, from Notice, that's like what his company does. They have a whole tool where employees can go on, say when they join, put in what they um, they got for options, and they can calculate based on the current 409 valuation and secondary activity what their shares would be worth. 
and he was saying there are quite a few companies where if you were joined in that key first group of hires, you're still there, you've got nothing at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Late stage is not the same thing as early stage if you're joining the company and your options will be priced accordingly. Right. Uh, but Kirsten, you were busy as a bee for the last couple of days. I'm curious, what has been uh, a standout from your disrupt 2023 experience? Well, first of all, you skipped yourself, but that's okay. On purpose. <laughs> Uh, well, obviously, I would have to say interviewing Cruz uh, CEO Kyle Vogt and then J.B. Straubel, um, Tesla co-founder and now Redwood Materials. But Kyle is probably the more contentious one. There's a lot of controversy in San Francisco right now around robotaxis and their future here. And we covered a lot of ground, um, yeah. including, you know, what he thought of uh, the United Auto Workers strike, which he evaded that question. I, I pressed him a couple of times, but he definitely didn't want to talk about that. Um, <laughs> but he also, you know, uh, did did reveal some stuff about what's going on um, within the company. They've been working on a winterized version of the Origin, which is this custom built, looks like a toaster. Oh, I love those. Yeah. So they're still waiting for the final um, exemption request from the federal federal regulators to remove, basically to have operate a vehicle that doesn't have steering wheel and pedals. Yeah. Because under federal regulations, like if you sell a car, you that you make a car, it has to have those things, right? Um, so they're getting that exemption. Once they do, um, they're kind of already in Austin with a human safety operator, sort of with a, you know, a, a kill switch type thing that can operate it. But once they do, it will go into a bunch of these other cities. So he has, and they're all though in the Sun Belt. You know, we're we're talking Austin and probably Phoenix, and you know they're they're entering in to places like Nashville and stuff like that. Uh, so they've been working on this other vehicle, which is a winterized version of that. Which and they've been working on it for like two years, and it's going to come out about two years from now. Oh man! Yeah, two years. Yeah. But rather it, it be right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'd yeah. rather it be medium and coming to Providence sooner. Like, I just just hurry up. Um, but um, I could see them creeping into areas that, like a DC area that doesn't get a ton of snow, for instance. Um, but maybe not like Upper Midwest. Um, but eventually, that's it. Just shows what they're working on, um, and that was interesting. And the other really interesting thing was he basically was like. I could see a day where city centers, you know, ban human drivers. Oh, yeah. And I asked him, well, are you going to lobby actively for that? And, he, and he, he kind of said, I don't think we're going to need to, but we'll happily support any effort. So that was, um, you know, that a, means yes. a, uh, a, a good answer, I guess. I'm sure his PR people were very happy. Yeah. Can we go back to the, the UAW strike and his evasions there? Because yeah. I feel like he could just take a position without getting in trouble. Well, like, they are owned by GM. Oh, that's right. <laughs> okay, yes. No, they cannot take a position so, on that because their position will right. be Mommy and daddy might be mad. <laughs> right. So you can't say, I support the children in the divorce. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, but my point and the reason why I asked it is he kept talking about scale. And one of the big benefits that they have touted with GM is that GM is a manufacturer. They produce these vehicles, these custom-built vehicles. Um, they have an agreement with them. And here they have this supplier that works directly with them on deep tech and things like that and what they need. Yeah. Well, if the right now the Chevy Bolt EV that we see uh, driving driverless around here, it is a version of the, pass the, the human-driven one. It is built in a factory, the um, Orion factory in Michigan. So if that were to be on strike, 
you can see the ripple effect. Like, all of a sudden, they can't get the vehicles they need. So that is why, like, aside from, like, hey, what do you think of the strike, there is a, you know, potentially operational and financial, you know, effect right. on crews. Yeah. Well, I'll just say, I, I, I'm timing aside, issues aside, the fact that I'm back in San Francisco and seeing so many self-driving cars with, with or without humans inside of them, very exciting. Knowing that they're working on a winterized version, very exciting. More expansion, very exciting. I did not think this was going to be so slow and so measured in its rollout, but at the same time, I will take incremental progress towards my goal versus none at all. So I'm, I'm yeah. happy if impatient. You have to be careful because um, we saw what happened to Uber ATG when they had a, a, an autonomous vehicle in Tempe with a human driver behind it who wasn't paying attention, but there was a failure within the vehicle, so it was a double failure and someone was killed. Uh, Uber AGG ceased to exist not long after that, really. Um, and so I think companies that still are around understand that. The, he also, I pressed him on this question too, which was, uh, we talked about the incidents that they've had, and I said, can you get to zero? Can you have a perfect? And he said, no. Yeah. So we did answer that one honestly, and I give him credit for that. Um, because th- there is there is going to be a scenario, and this will happen in the future, where a robo-taxi hits and kills someone. Yes. Yeah. It's gonna, there's going to be some terrible thing that happens, and people are going to throw a big fit about it, and I'm going to say the same thing that I'm going to say now, which is, have you seen the human fatality stats of driving, generally speaking, and then have you seen the human fatalities charts lately, because driving is now more dangerous for other folks than it has been because cars are so big and visibility right. is so poor. Pedestrians are getting creamed, literally. 45, about 45, it, it fluctuates a little bit, about 45,000 people a year in the United States. 45,000 people a year. Also, people who look at that as a totally negative signal should also look at how other people walk on the street. As someone who drives in Brooklyn, New York, people just push their baby strollers out when they do not have a walk sign and they are not even looking where they are going. <laughs> like, I can't give all of the fault to the cars. <laughs> I mean... When I'm a pedestrian, cars are a menace, and when I'm in a car, pedestrians are complete morons, so I can see this from both sides, but I do agree that people do get a little aggressive in cities with the expectation that cars will go away, while cars still expect to have kind of supreme right-of-way, so it's, it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm excited that went well, but you had, uh, you had a couple things total. What else did you do? Well, we had a... Um, what else did I do? Uh, that wasn't enough, I guess, No, I want more. Uh, I was um, a big part of the sustainability stage, and... You know, help put that together, and we had a great team: uh, Tim Deshant, Harry Weber, Christine Hall, um, all doing interviews, and including myself. I did a climate tech investing one, which was interesting. Um, fun moment was Tim was interviewing Rick Fox, you know, NBA champion, actor, um, and also entrepreneur. And this is a great title: doing something concrete on climate. Because he has a concrete concrete startup. So Uh, how does Rick Fox, people know him for sports ball, uh, end up in the concrete business? Well, he was influenced. You'll have to go back and listen to it. Um, But um, he was influenced, actually, he's from the Bahamas and and seeing some natural disasters going through there um, and what happened. Um, So he became more um, cognizant, I think, because it was in his face about climate change and... Um, also, I think he's tried a bunch of other uh, startups. I mean, he did the whole esports startup that didn't go so well. Um, a fun moment, we were in the middle, or Tim was in the middle of the interview, and Shaq just rolled in. I, and I heard, gave I, heard him I saw stage. that from the green room, and I was like, wait, what's happening on the sustainability yeah. stage? So Shaq's actually been an interesting 
lesson because we've had celebrities at Disrupt through the years of mm-hmm. different levels of, of fame. And there's, there's celebrities, then there's celebrities, and then there's like people who bring their own like private police force. And we have a special, so in the backstage area of Disrupt, keeping this very generic for yeah, safety please, reasons. Yeah, please, yes. But there are, there are places you can be even more secluded. Right. If fair? you choose to be. If you choose to yeah. be. And many people will choose to have a little bit more privacy inside of the inner sanctum. So it's like, it's like a special place for you. Jack, on the other hand, rolls up to the green room, gets a salad, and just plunks down at one of the tables with like a bunch of TechCrunch staffers and says, hey, what's up? I'm Shaq. And I realized that he can go into any building in any part of the world and just be himself, and he's beloved and welcome. And that's got to be... Like awesome. such a hack. Like he, he can go on stage and interrupt and everyone thinks it's great. If I did that, I would have to go talk to like HR. Yeah. Well, yeah. Don't do that. Don't interrupt any stage ever. Yes, I actually true. ended up uh, interviewing Shaq backstage after his onstage interview, which I, I didn't expect to happen. I was actually there to talk to the founder of Ed Soma, which is the EdTech startup um, of Kyle Walgren. He was on stage with Shaq and... They have a seed round that they closed, 2.5 million. Shaq led that round. And they have aspirations. They're already about to get ready to um, raise for the Series A. So I was going to be back there just to do the interview. And then Shaq rolled up, too. And he's like, all right, what are we talking about? And and so I'm like, okay, this is happening. Cool. Uh, And it was really interesting, his perspective. Um, I ended up writing a story about it. And I, I think it's interesting advice, maybe, for founders. Shaq's like, uh, he didn't ask me for money. He knew my, understood my influence. Um, I didn't put this quote in the story, but he basically was like, he knows that if I go to a school district and say, try this, that they're going to try it. Mm-hmm. And he just asked for me to be involved. And he said a funny thing at the end, and he was like, you know, if the meeting's going too long, I say, what do you want? And if someone says, oh, I need like, you know, a million or 14 million, he's like, no, thanks. And so apparently the trick in this case to get Shaq's money was to not ask him for money. I mean, who would have thought it's the anti-ask that's going yes. to work out? Yes. But um, what I do appreciate about this is that Shaq is just so different from those celebrities. Not only did he just sit around, but he just did stuff. Normally, there's like layers of people, and there's like email chains, and people are pretty locked down. Um, so it, it was surreal to see someone of that stature just be human. Like, yeah. It was refreshing. Yeah. It was great. I loved it. No, he very much felt like a real person yeah. in a way a lot of celebrities don't. Like he did a t- like he did a TikTok with some of our crew and like, everyone got a picture with him. Like just complete access. Like I, I, I got him in my be real. I'm kind of jealous. I was backstage at the builder stage the whole time and missed it. Um, but everyone else seemed to have a great time. Yeah, a lot not of people I, had a good time. Not that I'm hurt or anything. <laughs> a little bit maybe. A little bit. Well, they say don't like meet your heroes or people you look up to, but um, he absolutely delivered as just a really wonderfully lovely person and also very transparent. He dove right in talking about like his struggles of reading with this, you know, in relation to this EdTech startup. Um, He didn't hold back on that. And I think that that's what's so appealing to other people. They see themselves in him, even though he's much bigger person. Um, I I can see myself (laughs) in him three times. Yeah, I I was going to say, I could see myself four times in his shoes. (laughs) We actually, we have a picture of Miranda from the TechCrunch Plus team. Uh, who helps a lot with analytics and data, and she's just integral. You don't see her much, but she's clutch. And uh, she's a picture with Shaq, and I swear to you, she's exactly half his height. 
doll-sized. Oh, yeah. Like, it's just, <laughs> Miranda's not a person of uh, advanced stature in general, but compared to Shrek, it's, it's uh, somewhat funny. Now, on a more serious note, this year, Disrupt has been different, and we tried to kind of bring our events together. We had more industry-focused stages. Uh, the TechCrunch Plus stage was the builder stage this year to be more thematic. And so I'm just kind of curious, how has it felt to do it this way? I know this is a little bit insidery, but I'm curious. How's it felt? Well, one, I liked that there was so much more content and it was kind of easier to figure out where things were going to be. Because last year, not that it was difficult, but sort of how things were sort of spread just across two stages, it wasn't as always clear to me, especially firesides and stuff like that, which stage they were going to end up on. Uh, yeah. Because there wasn't any of that curation for sector. This year, so that is nice if you're like, especially probably for the attendees, I assume, like if you're really only focused on hardware, you're really only focused on AI, it's like there's a really great place for you to go to as a starting base of how you want to plan your schedule and your day, which is nice. But I will definitely say having multiple things going at once means we just don't get to see as much on our end, which is such a bummer. Yeah, it always happens, complex. though, I feel like. Yeah. Today was the first day I'm like, I have so much I can do. And then I was over on Pitch Showcase, and now we're doing the podcast. And I'm like, oh, I'm missing all these people. I'm looking at the schedule. I will say this. The stages were packed. Yeah. They're, I don't know what happened between last year and this year because economic uncertainty still exists. Interest rates what you're you're laughing like what, no lie, I, lie. I mean i mean economic uncertainty still exists is, is the best way of saying that um, <laughs> many people are broke yes yes and yet there's like this level of energy and excitement what i'm trying to figure out is it like excited or desperate energy i i can't quite put it like quite in a category but there's a ton more people there's more energy um people want to learn all the roundtables were super packed our sustainability stage, which you don't know, like how is it too insidery? Except for the part where people went to go see Shaq, we were packed. So we try not to <laughs> counter program against celebrities because last year we had Serena Williams. Yes. And we had the most serious uh, panel on the TechCrunch Plus stage. And guess which one was more popular? The TechCrunch Plus stage? It was not. <laughs> um, but I, I do think you're right. The energy has been fantastic. I'm actually on the optimistic versus... Yeah, uh, I, it side. feels more optimistic yeah. because the pitches I'm getting aren't like super thirsty. You know, they're quick, you know, would love to chat. But in the past, it's been more like a, a sort of a desperate plea. I will say, though, speaking of the excitement or desperation... I don't know if you guys saw the guy walking around on day one with his company information and revenue on his shirt. And some could say that's desperation, but I think that's iconic. That's just bold. That's Next just year, bold. that's what literally everyone will be wearing. <laughs> I think so. There was also a woman who had a, uh, a cardboard sign that she held up that said, uh, media needed, I have sources or something like that. My friend yeah. Amy got a picture of that. I thought it was hilarious. Um, but I will say the Series A panel on the builder stage not only packed standing room only like like I don't think we could fit another person in there and then no people were laying against the wall yeah. sitting like everywhere yeah that panel was spicy though I totally I was supposed to meet one of the VCs after that panel we we're gonna meet at the Deal Flow Cafe and she had to call an Uber from the TC Plus Lounge because she didn't think she'd be able to leave they were so swamped with founders after that yes it's a good thing but she was like I didn't expect that. Well, also like the, all the really practical panels, like the how to stretch your venture dollars, how to how to you know handle the, a different labor market for startups. Like it was really really hands on and busy, and so like that, the energy to me felt like everyone wants to do 
well in a, in a slightly more difficult venture market, mm -hmm. but not that they were desperate, more that they were like, okay, I know things have changed, so how can I get ready and do well? They um, want to learn. Yeah. Right. yeah. And there's always been you know, people seeking education, but this fa felt a little bit more focused mm -hmm. and more acknowledging, like Alex referred to a minute ago, more acknowledging that things have changed as opposed to, it felt like last year people were just waiting for things to go back to normal yes. yeah. and they were never gonna go back to normal, right? right? So No, and something that came up on Tim's Series A panel yesterday that I think sums it up great is someone asked like, oh, do you guys give different advice to your seed stage companies for raising now? And all of them said no, and one of the VCs said no, they're just actually listening to me now. Oh, oh nice. Which I think, and that's a big vibe, I think, of this conference. It's like, yeah. is a lot of this information new? Like, employees yeah. talk about how this works. No, but in a market like we're in today, I think founders really, really want to listen because they want to learn. Yeah. Yeah. They want to do it right. Like, say no, sure. it's a little bit and tougher that's, journey. And that's why, like, I, I know conferences are, like, a, a part of our business and so forth. But I do think that and this is, again, tuning our own horn, but I do think Disrupt does fit a pretty important uh, kind of niche. Now, we have to go, but uh, just for folks who are listening to this on Friday, the winner of TechCrunch Disrupt 2023 Battlefield will be live on the site. We don't know who it is yet because they no. have not done the final pitches and competitions, but that's the one thing we couldn't uh, wait for to record this because, well, then the show would have come out very, very late. Yes. Um, but take a look, see who won. It's always a really kind of important deal. And frankly, um, I think uh, we have a great set of companies this year. Nisha did yeah. a great job. Yeah, I only was able to sit in for one of the pitch competitions, but I was interested in every single company that presented. Yeah. And I mean that seriously. Becca doesn't lie much. Much. I don't. Why did you have to add the qualifier on there? All right. Try me again. Becca doesn't lie. <laughs> Ever. Not once in her life. No, but you know me. I'm not always the most optimistic person. That's, what I was, that's more what I was getting at, which is if, if Becca is saying that, it really means something. Got it. Um, yeah. All right. Well, we're going to go. Uh, shout out to Marianne. We love you. We'll see you soon. We've missed you. And uh, Kirsten and Becca, thank you so much for podcasting this week. Having a good time. And uh, we'll be back at Disrupt 2024. Woohoo! Woohoo! Equity is hosted by myself, Editor-in-Chief of TechCrunch Plus, Alex Wilhelm, and TechCrunch Senior Reporter, Mary Ann Azevedo. We are produced by Teresa Loconsolo with editing by Kel. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator, and a big thank you to the audience development team and Henry Picavet, who manages TechCrunch Audio Products. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.